my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor down in West Bridgewater. I'm so excited to be here with you all. Um, but before we get into the teaching, I have a question, and I want a response from you guys. So my question is, when you think of a villain, uh, who or what do you think of? Just shout them out. Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah, okay. Star Wars nerd over here. I'm with you. Yeah. What, who else? Lex Luthor. Superman guy. Okay. Who else? Thanos. What? Okay, Thanos, yeah, yeah, who else, what else? Yeah, okay, I, you all shouted at once, truthfully, I have no idea what you just said. Um, nobody said LeBron, I'm really interested. Why none of you said LeBron James, that guy is a villain, uh, Michael Jordan for life. But, um, so I, I took some time, I actually researched this, because I was really interested to see, like, who are the top ten movie villains of all time, okay, so specifically movie, so I, I was looking at Reddit, I, I went through some internet articles, I was just looking at all these different web movie websites, and these are the top 10 names that consistently came up across all of the research I did, which was about eight minutes. So, the first one is the Joker uh, from The Dark Knight, uh, you know, rest in peace Heath Ledger, that is my second favorite movie of all times, absolutely phenomenal. So we have the Joker. Then somebody said Darth Vader. Darth Vader was on the list too, uh, but he also like he's good in the end. So, you know, spoiler alert: he kills Palpatine. If you haven't seen it, it came out 40 years ago. I'm sorry. So we have Darth Vader. Then we have Thanos. Somebody said Thanos. Um, then we get a little more intense: Hannibal Lecter. Okay, yeah, Anthony Hopkins. Oh my gosh, unbelievable. Um, then we got Pennywise. Pennywise is the clown from the movie and the book It, um, but not the new Pennywise. The, the, the articles I read were very specific. It was the Tim Curry Pennywise, okay? Like the one from, I think that movie came out like the 80s or something. So we got Pennywise, then we have Loki from the Avengers and the uh, Marvel Universe, then Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. My Star Wars nerd over here knows what I'm talking about. And then we had Sauron. Sauron's from the Lord of the Rings. He's like the bad guy. Lord of the Rings is the best movie series of all time. It's better than Star Wars. I'm sorry. It just is. And my favorite movie of all time is The Two Towers, in case you guys were wondering, which I know you weren't. Uh, but we have Sauron. And then here's one I love. I love that he was included on the list. Scar from The Lion King. That's so good, right? I love Scar is a villain. That guy... He did some damage. And then the last one is Hans Landa from the Quentin Tarantino movie that I'm not allowed to say in church, okay? So Hans Landa. Now here's the thing. In all of those movies, we look at the heroes so often, and that's like who we want to be like. We're like, I want to be like Tony Stark. I want to give my life. I want to be bold like Batman. I want to be like Luke Skywalker. I want to be like Simba, like we, we look at the, the heroes and we want to be like them, but so often when we look at the villains, there's actually just as much we can learn from their lives on how not to live. And so, and, and sometimes, if we're being honest, uh, we can look a little more like the villains than we want to admit, right? In this series called Villains, we're actually exploring what we can learn from the lives of some of the most evil people in the Bible, and today we're going to be looking at the life of a man named Absalom. And Absalom was one of King David's sons. And, and his name, so Absalom, Ab means father, okay? And then Salom can also be translated Shalom, which means peace. And so Absalom's name literally translated means 
father of peace. But what we're going to see today is that at no point in his life did he live up to his name. Instead, he brought only death and rebellion. And death and rebellion that was, was rooted and grown through a life of bitterness. And so let's dive into the lessons we can learn from his life and the cure for bitterness, hatred, and anger in our own lives. So the story of Absalom, it is filled with scandal and murder and rebellion and a family feud that rivals like anything we've ever seen to this day. And it takes place in the book of 2 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, open up. It's towards the front of your Bible, 2 Samuel. You can also find it. There's this thing in the front called the table of contents. It'll give you the page. So 2 Samuel. And and the story of Absalom takes place between chapter 13 and chapter 18. You can also pull it up, Bible app on your phone, or it'll be on the screens, whatever is easiest for you. But I want to read, I want to start with the end. I want to I jump ahead towards the end of Absalom's life and show you where his life of bitterness led him. And so 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 to 8. And the king gave this command. Now the king is, is King David. This is Absalom's father. And the king gave this command to Joab and Abishai and Ittai. For my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order To his commanders. And so the battle began in the forest of Ephraim. And the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. And there was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. And the battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. So this is towards the end here, and, and what we see is that Absalom and his father David are at war with each other. And they're at war with each other for the kingdom of Israel. And Samuel tells us that this war, in one day, 20,000 people, 20,000 men lay down their lives. And this war is started because Absalom's bitterness, it grows into a rebellion against his father as the king. But, But how does he end up at war with the king? Because it's not like he just woke up one morning and he's like, I'm at war with you. We don't just wake up one morning and we're like, you know what, I think I'm going to go to war with my neighbor or my coworker or my mom or my dad or a child. Like, what we see through Absalom's life and what we need to see in our lives is we have taken little steps that have led us to a place of war. And it's the same with Absalom. And so the first lesson that we learn from him is this, a life of bitterness always has a root cause. A life of bitterness always has a root cause. And so with that, I want to go back to the beginning. What led Absalom so far down the path of destruction that he went to war with his own father? We have to go to, back to chapter 13. 2 Samuel 13, verse 1. And here's how the story of Absalom begins. Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Okay, stop. Not a good start. Okay, we got siblings falling in love with each other. This is what's happening here. So just to be clear before we move on, so Absalom's sister is Tamar, and Amnon is her half-brother. And all of these are David's kids. 
And what we read is that Amnon wants to sleep with Tamar, and so he hatches a plan to make it happen. And eventually his plan kind of goes off the rails, and it leads him to forcefully making her sleep with him. And now I want to go back to Samuel and see what happens next in verse 15 to 17. Then suddenly, Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Now get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. What we learned very quickly about what Amnon actually felt for his half-sister, it wasn't love. It was lust. And too often, not learning how to distinguish the difference between the two leads us to a world of hurt. But that's a whole, that's a different teaching. So Tamar, she's hurt. She's struggling. She's ashamed. And so she runs and she finds her brother Absalom. And in verse 20 to 22, we see Absalom's response. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Here we go. We're getting to the root here. Verse 21 and 22. When King David heard what happened, he was very angry. Very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. And just like that, we found our root cause. Just like that, bitterness has been planted in Absalom's heart against Amnon. But not only against Amnon, also against his father, David. Now, why is bitterness planted in his heart against David? Well, because don't forget, these are David's kids. David, in this culture, in this context, had every right to punish Amnon incredibly harshly. He, he, had, he even had the right to put Amnon to death for what he had done, yet David does nothing. It says that David became angry, and that's it. Now, why doesn't David do anything? Well, there's a couple thoughts on this. Perhaps it's because Amnon was his firstborn son, and so when David died, he didn't want to rock the boat of who his successor was going to be. He's like, listen, I want my kingdom to just kind of stay in the family name. And so instead of rocking the boat and killing my firstborn, I'm just going to push this under the rug. Or, or maybe it's, it could perhaps also be because David, a couple years before this, has commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And so his own guilt, he's in this place where he's like, who am I to judge my son for something evil he's done when I've done something far worse? Who, who am I? And so what does David do? It says he becomes angry, he sweeps it under the rug. And so bitterness grows in Absalom's heart for three reasons. One, his father, David, didn't respond the way he believed he should have. Two, Amnon hurt him and hurt Tamar and never seeks reconciliation. And three, because Absalom didn't get what he felt he deserved which was justice for his sister Tamar. And so now here's what I want to do. I want to 
We've been looking outward. We've been looking at the story. Now I want to turn the mirror around. I want you to take a look at yourself because did I just touch on a root of bitterness in your own heart? Where maybe a family member that hurts you never has sought reconciliation. And because of that, you've held this bitterness in your heart. I mean, you say to yourself on a daily basis, listen, it was their fault. They need to come to me and fix this. They need to apologize to me. I'm not in the wrong. This is their fault. And so bitterness grows. It reminds me of this quote um, from this, it's very niche. It's a very niche show. Most of you probably haven't heard of it. It's called The Office. And there's a character in The Office. Her name is Angela Martin. And she, she can be very bitter. And she says this at one point. She says, I don't back down. My sister and I used to be best friends. And we haven't spoken in 16 years over some disagreement I don't even remember. So yeah, I'm pretty good. Is that true of you? Is there a disagreement that you have with somebody you don't even remember why you're mad? You don't even remember why you're bitter. You don't even remember why you're angry, but you're so convinced that you're right. You're like, I will take this to the grave. Or maybe someone didn't respond to a pain point or a hurtful comment the way that you believe they should have. Or maybe you didn't get something that you feel you deserved, a promotion or a raise or a child or a house or a spouse. And like Absalom, instead of addressing it, you keep watering it and waiting and water it and you wait until all of a sudden that bitterness has led to hatred and that hatred leads to murder, which leads us to the next lesson we learned from Absalom, which is this, a life of bitterness is filled with casualties. A life of bitterness is filled with casualties. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 13, 23. Two years later, so two years after um, the Amnon-Tamar situation, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Balhazer near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. So for two years, Absalom has allowed this bitterness to fester. And now here we are. He's throwing a dinner party for all of David's sons. And you know who's invited? Amnon. Amnon's invited. And and Absalom, he's played nice. He put on a nice face. But what's been festering underneath was hatred and bitterness. And the scholar John A. Trapp says this, nothing is more unsafe to be trusted than the fair looks of a festered heart. 2 Samuel 13, 28 to 29. So we're at the dinner party now, and Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. And just like that, this bitterness that has been festering and growing in his heart, it's finally been revealed. And he lashes out and he murders his own brother. Now maybe right now you're thinking, okay, well, Brandon, yes, I might have some bitterness, but I've never murdered anybody. I never threw a dinner party for my sister-in-law and said, come on over. And then I murdered her. Like I, did, I haven't done that. So I'm not that bad. Well, I want to challenge you with some scripture this morning that maybe you've committed more murders than you realize. 
Because 1 John 3, verse 15 says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And so maybe in your life there are more casualties than you want to admit. You've, cor- you've committed more murders than you want to admit. Because those that we're bitter towards, we lash out at them. We fight with them. We hate them. We wish for their demise. And if we're being really honest, there may have even been times where we have prayed, God, would you bring their demise to be? God, would you take them down a peg? God, would you bring them to ruin? God, would you make them lose their job? I deserve that promotion, God, not them. God, I deserve that house, would you? God, would you just take that house away from them? Because you know what? I deserved it. We pray for these things. And then our bitterness, it, it starts to affect the relationships that we have with those around us that have never even wronged us. Because our, our festered heart, our heart condition, because of this hatred that we've allowed to grow, it starts to spill into other parts of our lives, into our relationship with our kids, into our relationship with our parents, into our relationship with our spouse, into our relationship with our friends, or maybe even into our relationship with God. It starts to spill into those parts, and we see this in Absalom's life with a man named Joab. And poor Joab just got caught in the crossfire. So after killing Amnon, Absalom goes into hiding for three years. He goes into hiding. He flees from David. And this actually tears his father David up inside. Like he, he really, he longs for his son to come back and be reconciled. And Joab, this, it was actually, Joab's actually Absalom's cousin. Joab recognizes this and says, listen, David, let, let me help. I want to help arrange a reconciliation meeting between you and Absalom. And so 2 Samuel chapter 14, verses 21 to 23 says this. So the king sent for Joab and told him, all right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, at last I know that I have gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. Boom. We're good. Like reconciliation's about to happen. We're about to move on from this. But that's not what happens. Verse 24. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. And so Absalom didn't see the king. And with that, The bitterness and the anger that he already had towards his father for the lack of punishment, the lack of justice towards Amnon, that bitterness grows even deeper. He's not even allowed to see his own father. And for two years, he lives in Jerusalem and is never allowed to see his father David. And this bitterness keeps growing and growing until eventually it spills into his relationship with Joab in chapter 14, verses 29 to 32. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. And Absalom sent for him a second time, but again, Joab refused to come. And so Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field the field next to mine, 
And so they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, Why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to go ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king, and if he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. Poor Joab. He's caught in the crossfire between this bitterness between Absalom and his father. And Joab's field is only a small drop in the sea of casualties that are about to be in Absalom's life. Because as bitterness grows in our heart, we want others to take our side. We want other people with us. We say, listen, let's have lunch. Let's go get coffee. And let me tell you why I'm right and they're wrong. Let me tell you why I am, I am being wronged here. I didn't do anything. They're wronging me. And we coax people into taking our sides. And this is how friend groups are ruined. This is how company leadership teams are split. This is how kids are divided in divorces. This is how churches split. And this is exactly what Absalom does in chapter 15, 1 to 6. After this, Absalom brought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. And he got up early every morning, and he went out to the gate of the city. When Absalom brought a case, when, when people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Now, with that, I, I want to kind of explain during this time and in this period, the city gate was like City Hall and the Mall of America combined. Like it was where you went if you were a, uh, an influential commerce leader or an influential political leader. And so if you wanted to win the heart of those people, you went and you hung out at the city gate and you just talked. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 3 to 6. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone would bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. Now, I want you to remember, what does Absalom feel like his father didn't do when it comes to Amnon? feels like he didn't do justice. And now what's Absalom saying? Listen, I'll, I'll do real justice. I'll be the guy that brings actual justice. And when people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. He's doing some real schmoozing here. And Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. And with that, he raises an army and he creates a rebellion, and he drives his father, David, from Jerusalem, bringing thousands and thousands of people with him in this rebellion, turning them against King David, who has justly ruled them for years. Absalom drags them into this family feud and a rebellion fueled by bitterness and anger. But what we're going to see is that a life of bitterness always has one more casualty to claim, and that's our own life. Someone once said that holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And with that, I want to go back to 2 Samuel 18, where we see the conclusion to Absalom's life in 9 to 15. During the battle, this is 
the battle that he's in with his own father. Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men, and he tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded, you saw him there and you didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. Verse 12, I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son and the king would have certainly found out who did it, you yourself would have been the first to abandon me. Verse 14, enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive in the great tree. And then ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Absalom's life of bitterness and rebellion and hatred and anger led to a lonely, isolated death. A poison that slowly led to his demise. And I also want you to notice, really quick, I have to point out, who is the man that kills him? It's Joab. And this is the same Joab that arranged the reconciliation between Absalom and his father. And this is also the same Joab that Absalom allowed his bitterness to spill into his relationship and burned his field. always casualties in the life of bitterness, and it leads us to a place of isolation. It destroys friendships. It ruins marriages. It causes companies to collapse, and as John tells us, it leads to a spiritual death. But thankfully, but thankfully, this morning I want to offer you hope. I want to offer you hope if you've been struggling with bitterness or anger or hatred Because in fact, what the Bible offers us is cures for bitterness. The Bible offers us cures for bitterness. And I want to start with words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so the first cure for the poison of bitterness is forgiveness. What is Jesus saying here in Matthew? I think he's getting at like, who are you to not forgive others when God has forgiven you of so much? Like I have to remind myself of this often. When somebody wrongs me and I'm like, you know what? They are 100% in the wrong. I have, I have 100% reason to not forgive that person. I have to be reminded that even when I was as far away from God as possible, when I was 16 years old, he rescued me. He came and said, listen, Brandon, you're in your mess. I'm still going to forgive you. I'm still going to offer you hope. I'm still going to give you a new life. If you would just turn to me, if you would just turn away from your selfishness, your disobedience to me, your sin, if you would just turn from that and choose to follow me, I'll offer you forgiveness. I'll forgive you of everything. And then for the rest of your life, even though you're still going to make mistakes, I will forgive you. So who am I to not forgive somebody when they wrong me, when God forgives me every single day when I wrong him? (laughs) Romans chapter 5. Verse 8 says, but God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
Not when we got our act together. Not when we came to God and asked for forgiveness. It says, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, God will forgive us, not not because we forgive others, but because of his great mercy. That's why God forgives. His forgiveness, let me make something clear. His forgiveness is not dependent on what we do. He is so much bigger than that. But what we learn through the teachings of Jesus, is that those who are unwilling to forgive have not become one with Christ. Because Christ was willing to forgive the people that hung him on a cross. In Luke chapter 23, verse 24, as Jesus is hanging on a cross, paying for the sin that you and I commit every single day. As Jesus is hanging on that cross for you and I, he looks down on the people that put him on the cross, the people that are murdering him. And he says this, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even as he's being crucified, he looks down and he says, God, forgive them. They don't understand. He sets the bar right there. The bar is set for forgiveness when it comes to those that choose to follow him. There is and can be no one outside of forgiveness for us because we were not outside of forgiveness for Jesus. And our goal as followers of Jesus is to look more like him, to be formed more and more into the image of Christ every single day. And Robert Mulholland wrote the book, Invitation to a Journey. He says this, Wherever something in our life is not formed in the image of Christ, there is a place where we are incapable of being all that God wants us to be with others. There is a place where our life with others is hindered and limited and restricted in its effectiveness and its fullness. There's a place where our life will tend to become disruptive and destructive to others. Is that bitterness for you this morning? Is that hatred? Is that anger? Because if you've chosen to follow Jesus, we now have a a responsibility to forgive as we have been forgiven and to live out what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, to get rid of all bitterness and rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander, as well as all other types of behavior. And yes, I know Paul probably wasn't thinking this when he wrote this. This includes what you type on your phone and post in Facebook. This includes what you send in a DM through Instagram, hiding behind your phone or hiding behind your computer. Yes, that includes those words. Instead, so Paul's just said, listen, don't be like this. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you, so that we may look more like Jesus to those around us. Now we move to the next cure of bitterness in our life, and it's confrontation and honesty. So we start with forgiveness, The next cure is confrontation and honesty. We have to be willing to address what is happening in our hearts. And not just confront and be honest with those we feel wronged by, but also confront and be honest with what's going on inside of us. 
Like, take a long look in the mirror. Could you have perhaps been more at fault than you want to admit in this argument? Like, could you have contributed maybe just a little more than you feel comfortable acknowledging to this, this anger, to this feud that you're in with your family? Imagine if when Absalom felt wronged by David and Amnon, he had just set up a meeting and said, hey, listen, we got to talk about what just happened. Like, I'm hurt. I'm hurt, and I need you to know why. This isn't going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy, but we have to talk about this. But instead, we, he chose to sit in silence for years, never chopping the bitterness at the root, but instead he watered it. And for us, one of the ways for us to learn what's in our hearts is and what needs to be addressed and what we need to be honest about, we need people in our lives sometimes that are, that are going to share godly wisdom with us, that are going to confront us, that are going to be honest, that are going to help us get to the root of bitterness. Pete Scazzaro wrote the book, Emotionally Healthy Leader. He says, you cannot change what you are unaware of. It's through addressing the root we make sure it doesn't grow in another area of our life. We have to address the root. And when we sit with these people, Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. It may not always be what we want to hear, but it may be exactly what we need to hear. Absalom's life is one of the great tragedies on what bitterness leads to. And I don't want you to end up in the place that Absalom did, becoming a tragedy. And so instead, I want to give you some next steps this morning, some next steps to address that bitterness in your own heart. Now, first, I recognize not everybody's all across the map when it comes to spiritual walk this morning. And maybe this morning you haven't chosen to follow Jesus And because of that, you haven't received God's forgiveness for your past yet. Your past, your present, and your future. And so my challenge to you this morning, your first step, before you even think about forgiving others, is you need to take the step today and allow God to forgive you. You need to say today, listen, I'm done living a bitter, angry life. I'm ready to receive the life of abundance that Jesus promises us when we just put our faith in him. And this morning, you can do that. You can turn like I did when I was 16 years old. You can turn from the life of sin where you've been selfish, you've been disobeying God. You can turn from that life and turn to Jesus. And what you will find is what he promises. You will be forgiven. The book of Romans tells us anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just people that go to church, not just people that were raised in a Christian household. Anyone, wherever you're at this morning, you will be saved if you call on the name of the Lord. You will receive forgiveness and you will receive new life. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If that's you, that is your next step today. Now for some of you, maybe it's you do have some forgiving to do. Are there things you're holding on to in your life that you're unwilling to forgive? And I want you to remember the words of Jesus. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. 
But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father does not forgive your sins. Don't allow that bitterness and hatred to continue hanging around your neck this morning like a weight and walk out those doors. Because of the cross, you can lay it all down and accept a new life of freedom, a life of abundance that Jesus is offering you. There's been enough casualties in your life already. Let's move on this morning. Now, I also want to ask, do you have people in your life that confront you and are honest when they see something that doesn't represent Jesus? And if you don't have that this morning, you're like, man, I, I just wish I had those people that I could sit across from, from a meal, across from lunch and, or coffee or whatever, and just be honest with them. If that's you this morning, at Grace Church, we, we desperately want to help you. We want to help you find community. And so if that's you, you're like, I just want those people. I want you to go to the info bar right after service. I want you to find Katrina. And Katrina is going to help you get plugged into a life group that starts in September or one of our growth groups. And she's happy to explain what those things are. But I'm going to challenge you this morning. Find those people that will speak godly wisdom into your life. Give you biblical counsel. And have, give them the, the space to be honest and confrontational with you. Even when it's not what you want to hear. Lastly, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what might need to be addressed in our lives. And to do that, I want to close. I want to lead us through an exercise that a friend of mine, um, Katia Adams, has used before when it comes to bitterness and unforgiveness. And this is going to be a little different. Um, it might be a little different than what you're used to, but I want to just slow down. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds to reveal bitterness or unforgiveness or hatred or anger that we've been holding on to. And so here's what I want you to do. I know, I know this is different. I want everybody in the room, I want you to just close your eyes. And this is how we're going to wrap up. I'm just going to share some prompts. Ask some questions. And I want you to just reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Take some deep breaths and just slow down. We're not going to move from this moment without allowing the Holy Spirit to do some work. Here's what I want you to start by asking. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there someone I need to forgive? Is there someone I need to forgive? And as people come to your mind, the next step, I want you to be really specific in what you need to forgive them for. Don't be generic. Don't say, I'm mad at them. Well, I'm angry at them. Be specific. They said this to me, and it made me feel this. They did this to me, and it left me feeling this. Now what I want you to do, you have that person, you have that thing. I want you to ask Jesus to set you free from harboring that bitterness towards them this morning. The Bible tells us that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And this morning, we're going to invite Jesus to bring some freedom into our lives.
Next, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you an area of your life where you haven't forgiven yourself. And I want to remind you this morning, God has forgiven you for it. God has forgiven you for it, but you need to forgive yourself. What is that thing that you need to forgive yourself for? Be reminded that God has forgiven you. Ask Jesus to set you free to be able to forgive yourself. Lastly, is there an, is there an area of your life where you're harboring bitterness or anger towards God for something. Not because God did something wrong, because we know that He is good, but sometimes we know that in our hearts and we still hold offense. Maybe it's for something you haven't seen Him do, or a loved one that He didn't save, or whatever it may be. Take some time and forgive him this morning. God, I thank you. Even while we were as far away from you as possible, you still forgave us. You still forgive us. God, help us to do the same with those around us. We don't, have, we don't have to drink the poison of bitterness. We don't have to let bitterness and hatred and anger be a weight tied around our neck. We can find freedom today. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the hope that we have through the cross. That in Jesus, we find everything that we need. Through looking to him as our example, God, we, f- we see the life that we are to live. We see how we are to interact with those around us. So help us, God. Help us to be formed more into the image of Jesus. To be like him. And to do what he did. God, we thank you for who you are and for how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.